The following episode is one of 10 sample programs podcast as a public service of FocusedPassion.com. Get an even higher education, including courses in personal empowerment and self-mastery at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the E-D, that's FocusedPassion.com. The thought that life could be better is woven indelibly into our hearts and our brains. Well, hi, hello, and howdy, and welcome to another edition of Finding Yourself in Paradise. I'm Michael Benner. And I'm Steve Snyder, and welcome to Paradise. Paradise, of course, more than a destination. We like to remind you, Paradise is a state of mind that we call focused passion. Sometimes Steve and I are surprised at how little is understood about the alpha brainwave level, about the value of reducing physical stimulus by closing your eyes, breathing, and relaxing. And all of the extraordinary benefits, the physical, emotional, mental, even spiritual benefits that go with that. And since we've been in the field for, well, over 35 years, certainly close to four decades now in one way or another, probably more than that if you figure the books we read as kids. Cause and I taught my first speed reading program over 40 years ago. Wow. There you go. Maybe it's because there's just so many different names for getting into paradise, Steve. What do you think? Well, there are. I mean, you know, uh, yoga and the martial arts have their own versions, and then there's sports psychology and hypnosis, meditation, biofeedback, neurolinguistic programming, creative visualization, practical daydreaming was a name you came up with. Yeah. There's all kinds of wonderful inroads, you know, ways to get in. But it all comes down to one thing, and that is when intentionally people are improving themselves, you know, by choice. You know, we all grow, but people who are in charge of the direction they grow and the speed at which they grow in that direction, those kinds of people, they're all doing one thing in common. And that is they're getting out of their stress by closing their eyes and taking a deep breath and centering or focusing or relaxing or whatever name you put on it. It's getting out of the beta brainwave state, the multitasking stress mode and getting into the state of focus. And then if you're doing something you really care about, it's not just focus, it's focused passion. Focus without passion is just spacing out. It's just daydreaming. But or or wishing. Well, yeah. Wishing. But focused passion is when you put emotion into the, the focus, and then you bring both minds together and create this amazing higher consciousness. Well, that's faith or belief yeah. or uh, that sense that uh, it's a done deal, man. This is going to happen for sure. Well, I, I, I see people that many of whom are aware of the physical benefits. For example, sports psychology is now 30-plus years old. And a lot of folks know uh, whether they watch professional sports or whether they're amateur uh, weekend athletes. They know that stress and carried as muscular tension uh, degrades performance. And the harder they try, the worse they do. And in other areas, I think health, for example, we're seeing stress as preventative health care. But when we talk about the mental and emotional, as well as the spiritual, but just even the mental and emotional benefits. I think that's where people go, huh? Yeah, how and, could being, like, you know, relaxed make me smarter? Yeah. You know, it seems like, wait a minute, I'm, it, to concentrate, I'm supposed to try harder. I'm supposed to go, hmm. Right. Well, no, actually, concentration happens best when you, when you relax and unwind. You see, 
the harder you try to do something, it, the harder it is to do, the more effort you have to put into it. And, and those are the things that cause us stress. Things that are effortful are stressful. It's almost the same exact word. What we do easily, what comes naturally, what, when we go with the flow, if you will, then there's very little effort, if any effort, involved. So thinking smarter, thinking better, thinking is more like not doing things that you've been doing that get in your way. It's that you don't have to do anything. You have to undo the kinds of thinking you've been doing, the kind of stressful life you've been living, to let the autopilot just do the brilliant thinking it's capable of. And I think the spiritual benefits we'll have to address in another show because it's so comprehensive, all of these areas, just so far-reaching in their implications and ramifications. But the idea of self-realization, to really get a much better understanding of who you are, the big picture, you and I called it a couple of weeks ago. I think that's real important. Well, today, what are we doing? Today, it's uh, dealing with difficult people, right? Yeah, it's it's easy to find yourself in paradise if paradise is uh, full of only happy, wonderful people. But, <laughs> you know, finding yourself in paradise when paradise includes difficult people is more challenging. And yet, you can do it. That That there is a way to continue to wage inner peace throughout your day regardless of the kinds of people that you're interacting with. We want to talk about dealing with difficult people. And of course, there's so many different kinds of difficult people in our lives. But Michael and I have talked about it and sort of came up with the idea of the big three, you know, the big three types of difficult people that we encounter regularly in our lives. The first group are people that are well, they're angry, or they're antagonistic, or they're hostile. Hostile, you know. They're, Watch out! Yeah, you know, you just they're just stay away from this guy. Yeah, that kind of energy, and and of course, we all know that that comes from hurt. You know, anger comes from some kind of hurt, and ultimately, there's a fear base to all that. Uh, but when somebody's coming at you with anger, you know, it, it, it's hard to. Well, it's 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 a hard situation. So. Well, it's scary. Yeah. And so they add to our stress, and even if we might have had a good idea what to do a minute ago, now this angry, hostile person has me a little freaked out, and so it's a training, really. We have to practice and anticipate uh, how to behave. Because it's clear that if somebody's hostile that that make me scared, you know, and they're hostile because they're scared, you know, then I could start behaving hostily come from my fear. And if you're behaving, they're behaving hostily and I'm behaving hostily, that's not going to end up in a good place. I mean, clearly that's just of all the possible solutions, that's got to be the worst of them all. We should also talk about how those emotions that are part initially of a defense usually an unneeded defense, but nevertheless some kind of reflexive or autonomic defense, very quickly become offensive. And angry people making other people angry, defensive people defending themselves against another person who's now becoming defensive, boy, that can very quickly spiral up into people saying things that that they really don't mean often. Absolutely. Regret having said. But, you know, here's the magic part. The magic part is it only takes one person to stop that whole chain from, from expanding and from going and going and going. If if one person faces a hostile person without hostility, faces that angry person without anger, faces that fearful person without fear, then what happens is their balloon deflates. 
the angry person is is there's nobody to bounce it off. It doesn't come back at them, so they can't push. You know, they can't make it escalate. It, it just like goes into a vacuum. It goes into this person who's not being angry, who's not being hostile, who's being calm, who's being quiet, who's being gentle, and they sort of like take in that energy almost like the martial arts expert that, that like lets it go by kind of thing and doesn't push it back at them their anger eventually is going to just blah, you know just going to unwind and finally fizzle out altogether i never thought of uh, a matador as being a martial arts master but that's the visual yeah. i got when yeah. you said let them blow by let the step out of the way let that bull yeah. Yeah, uh, With, without the last part of putting the, the sword in the yeah, back. Well, you don't have to do that I've part. I've never been to a yeah. real bowl. Yeah, oh, good, good. Well, let's talk about the other two, and then we'll come back, because that's a very yeah. nice preview. Let's lay it out, two and three. Again, there's more, okay. but lots of kinds So of one is angry, hostile people yeah. coming from fear. Number, group number two that you deal with a lot are negative people, pessimistic, just down, all that, you know, just saying everything not going to work, just just naysayers, just negative, pessimistic kind of people. And if, if you face those kinds of people with the same thing they're feeding you, you know, like life sucks, yeah, it sure does. And then you create this, this whole victimology thing, this whole like uh, misery loves company thing, and it just spirals down into woe is us, which is somehow... Easier than just woe is me. It, it can be really challenging to contradict pessimistic people. Yeah. But we'll come back and take a look at this. And then, again, having said that this is not the only three categories of difficult people, but surely the big three, uh, the, the, uh, the third grouping would have to be people that are just sad sacks. Yeah, just sad and lonely and sorrowful, sometimes clinically depressed, you know, and it's not their fault. It's a hormonal thing or a chemical thing, maybe, but they're still behaving in such a way that they're just such a drain. You know, they're difficult. I mean, it's difficult. You can feel empathy. You can feel sorry for people that are just so sad and so lonely, but, but if you... If you get too into that, of course, you're talking about co- co-behaving and almost uh, over-caring, and it just sucks you right down into it. So that, just going there with them, you know, when somebody's sad, it, it, going there with them is not the best solution either. It, it's insidious, and emotions really are contagious. Yeah, they can I, I think just like uh, uh, people say, well, yawns are contagious. One person yawns in a room, and we know laughter and happiness is contagious. Yeah. Somebody giggles, somebody laughs, and everybody's laughing. But certainly negative emotions, whether it's anger, pessimism, or the uh, sadness that we've talked about, in each of these cases, it can really be contagious. Yeah, it, it, angry people want you to contribute to their anger by being angry at them or with them. You know, and and the same thing with pessimistic people. Pessimistic people are pessimistic because they can validate their life by being right. You know, they get to self fulfilling prophecy. They get to screw things up and see, I told you so, kind of thing. And they love having company in that. And then, of course, sad people, misery loves company. So all those things are insidious. They're all, they all suck you in. They all, you know, the, the, it seems like if you don't do something consciously different, you'll just go there with them. And so dealing with difficult people really is about not buying into their, their stuff. It's holding strong with your stuff. It's, it's giving what's needed to the person, but not giving them what they're asking for. All right. So really, the first rule of emotional intelligence or emotional management is your feelings are your <laughs> yeah. feelings. That sounds so obvious. <laughs> and yet, and yet, that's such a... 
ununderstood concept yeah. that that people say he made me mad. Right. And they just they, they definitely he made me he made me mad. He did that to me. As long as you're not responsible for you having made yourself mad in response to the way that person behaved, then you know you're thinking they are in charge of your emotions. Can't well, have that. of course, there's some merit to the belief system. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. People can stimulate a feeling, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. but the feeling that comes up for us, we need to emphasize, is a response. It's it's the emotions we feel are evoked from what other people say and do. And so let's take our angry guy here, the first of the three categories of difficult people. This is a hostile or an angry woman or a man. And they come at us with uh, some predisposition to be angry or hostile, and we feel like it's personal. They may be angry at us. They may not be angry at us. They may be angry at something else, but they suck us into the anger. Yeah. Well, imagine them going down the hall. I mean, I'm getting a workplace uh, yeah, vision okay. of what we're talking about here, but it could be any setting in life, really. And uh, act angrily, uh, hostily to a half a dozen people. It's pretty easy to recognize that each of those people is going to have a unique response to the anger. And to say that he made me feel that way... There's a kernel of truth there, but Steve, we got to expand on this idea of emotional feelings having been evoked by the stimulus. Yeah, I mean, he pushed my buttons, but I walked up with all my buttons real shiny and available. You know, it's like it's like labeled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please push this one. So yeah, people stimulate us, no doubt about it. I mean, Ram Dass said, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your parents. You know, I mean, people stimulate us, no matter how cool we think we are, but. The stimulus can be responded to in different ways if you are in charge of your attitude and the response. So, so yeah, it's true people do push our buttons. It's true difficult people are difficult to be around. But we can, and you, you touched on one of the keys earlier, through practicing ahead of time, yeah. we can learn to deal with those difficult people in new ways that don't suck us into their anger or their pessimism or their sadness. Yeah, and as we get to know ourselves better, I think we have a better understanding then of how people trigger us. And we can tell ourselves, we can caution ourselves. I mean, one of the things I do is remind myself that high levels of emotions, uh, negative emotions anyway, I don't seem to have a problem with high levels of happiness uh, causing any You seem to do real well with that, actually. I I, I do too, I do too. (laughs) Joy and peace of mind. I think we're getting masterful at those. But negative feelings are intoxicating in the worst sense of the word. Yes. And that means that while we're reacting to these negative feelings, whether it's anger or or the attitude we're calling pessimism, the negative person, or just the sad sack, the lonely person appealing for sympathy or whatever. We'll, we'll talk about these other two a little bit more as we, as we move on. We can anticipate ourselves and say, you know, this guy, this angry guy, for example, he's starting to really upset me. He's starting to really make me angry. And I know my tendency is to get emotionally drunk. And the next thing I know... I'm going to get sucked in, I'm going to be angry, and I'm not going to have the control that I have right now to respond appropriately. What wisdom that is to recognize that ahead of time. 
and do something about it. Because it's easy to deal with that future event now, way easier than it will be to deal with it then. Mm-hmm. Like to have the kind of equanimity, the kind of calm-mindedness, the kind of sense of the big picture in that moment takes a lot more evolved person than me. You know, I know if I'm going to face a moment like that where I'm dealing with somebody who's in my face angry at me, I want to be ready to do that ahead of time. I don't want to have to figure out what to do then. And clearly what to do is the opposite in a way, or or the counterbalance is a better word than opposite, to what they're doing. That is, if they're giving me anger, if they're giving me hostility, if they're giving me being real hard and real anger, real rough, then what I need to do is stand firm in being gentle. Stand firm in being calm, stand firm in being quiet, stand firm in being confident that, you know, I can handle whatever you're, you're doing to me, you know, because I'm, I'm here. You're I'm in balanced. my center. I'm, I'm balanced. Feeling of balance. Yeah. I'm not going to let this person knock me off center. Yeah. And it's a, instead of like putting up a, a barrier against them, instead of trying to overcome them, it's, it's almost like become porous. And let that go through you, almost. Become like translucent and their, their light just go, flows right through you. It, 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 if you hold on to it, it will hurt you. But if you just let it go through, you know. So, think about this. If you're walking down the street and somebody you never saw before that looks quite disreputable and you really wouldn't want to have anything to do with them walks up to you and says, uh, you're ugly. You're going to go, you know, and walk and like, like, who cares what they think, right? But if your mother says, you know, I've thought about it. I really think you're ugly. You know, I mean, that, that, that heart, that hurts, you know, it's like, it's like what you give it, you know, it's like, it's like the same two words, but it's what you give it that makes it hurt or not hurt. That's such an important point. Think of uh, somebody you really love and care about, a spouse, a son or daughter, a, a, a parent or the guy next door that you really, really like saying something that really hurt or upset you and then just ask yourself well how would i feel if the guy two blocks down had said that yeah who i never met before yeah or i don't really know very yeah, well or, right. so you can see right there how yeah. we attach what could we say the lens through which we view it right and and so the more important the person is to us right. the harder it is to not get sucked in to their stuff <clears throat> but the good part is the better we know the person the more likely we are to be able to anticipate ahead of time that that's the kind of person that's going to be able to do those kinds of things. And the better we know ourselves, as we've already said, the same thing is true in that regard. Yes. So dealing with a stranger's anger is is difficult, but not nearly as difficult as dealing with a loved one's anger. Mm -hmm. But you can't rehearse dealing with a stranger's anger except generically. Mm -hmm. But you can rehearse dealing with any particular loved one's anger who you know is an angry, you know, has angry moments at least in your life. I had a private client not long ago who was concerned about visiting, well, this was the husband that I spoke to. I didn't speak to the wife, but he was concerned about this planned trip back to, uh, well, I can say the state, the deep south, Louisiana, small town, with he and his wife and the brand new baby. And he wanted everybody back there to see the new baby, so he was really committed to going back. But the reason that he scheduled the session was, he said, Michael, I'm really afraid of the culture clash here. People mm-hmm. where I come from still use the N-word. Their idea of fun is to go hunting, and, and I can't do that. This, this man was quite refined. He was a musician. He taught music and teaches music, in fact. And, but at the same time, 
In the past, when he encountered this, he was sort of a go-along-to-get-along kind of a guy, and his wife felt betrayed as if he's not standing up for himself. Mm. You're being a doormat, you mm. know, or a wussy. And so I think maybe we should speak to this just a little bit to say that, you know, to be gentle as a conscious response to people who are angry and hostile doesn't mean you have to take their crap. Absolutely. You still get to assert yourself and stand up for yourself with your shoulders back and your chin out, but you can do it in an elegant and graceful and gentle way. Right. And, and if you do it with elegance in your volume and intonation and inflection and in facial expressions and hand gestures and all the body language, then it will come across as non-hostile. Right. See, hostility is a very small part of the actual words it's really more the delivery. So if they're delivering hostile, you can say almost any words you want to say as long as you're not demeaning or name-calling kind of words. You know, that's going to escalate. But you can say what – if the words aren't as significant as the way that you say them, the volume, intonation, inflection, facial expression, hand gestures, body language, all that stuff is so much of what conveys the emotion behind the word. So I told him about a few little tips, like whenever possible – don't sit across from the person who is challenging you, this angry, even hostile person. Sit beside them. Certainly never stand over them Smart. or give them the ability to stand over you. Uh, but sit beside them. And we talked about, about how to touch, you know, and where to touch, if possible, when appropriate, uh, to break down these barriers. These are very real energy barriers that angry people carry. Yeah. And if you can, in a very clever way, with the best of intentions, again, this is not so that we can defeat the angry person. This is more about disarming right. the angry person. That's a very different concept. Very, very different concept. You, you can defeat an angry person. You can. But what happens is you, you defeat them through something that makes them even feel worse, like humiliation or embarrassment. Or You can defeat an angry person, but that's not what you want to do. Then you've got – that's kicking somebody when they're down kind of thing. That's just really right. not a very nice no. behavior. What you want to do, as you said, is disarm an angry person. But I also might add that it's not your responsibility to deal with their ch – changing their emotion in them. You know, I mean, if, if you can, if you can, how, how lovely. If by being gentle, if by holding course, if by staying centered and, and being a place that they can vent their anger safely, you serve them, how wonderful that is. But that's not your life's work. That's not your job. Your job is to stay centered for yourself. And if, how, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't serve anybody else. So your first job is to stay centered for yourself. And then from that place, you can serve the other person. Yeah, uh, I think a nice way to say that, one way to say that is if you want to help people to feel better, an angry person to feel less angry, it's not fun to be angry or hostile. If you want to do that and you have the skills and you've reflected on some of the concepts we're talking about, well, that's great. But when we need to do that, then we got to take a look at mm. codependence, at my real intention is to earn brownie points for myself. A lot of folks trying to make themselves, uh, you know, this this idea of emotional dependence, and then everybody does it so it's co-dependence. Again, is a little confusing for people if they didn't get rule number one that we mentioned a few <laughs> minutes ago. Your feelings are your feelings. So to make somebody else feel good about you, 
and then somehow use that indirectly to feel good about yourself, well, that's backwards too. Just Indeed. like that's that's as, as mixed up as he made me angry in the first place. In either way, you're taking no responsibility right. for your own emotions, which right. which you have to do. So the idea of dealing with an angry person. Can I say that oh, another way? Can sure, I say, please do. Yeah, it just occurred to me. I haven't said it like this in a long time, but part of taking ownership of your emotions is allowing other people to have theirs. Oh, nicely said. Thank you. Nicely said. Thank you me. have to let them have, and it's not your job to change theirs. That's right. very, very profound. Right. Because if somebody's angry, either you get caught up in the anger and get angry and then escalate the anger, which is what you don't want to do, or what you could do is you could take their anger on, so to speak, and and like just be you know, feel terrible when they go, go and they feel great. You know, you just absorbed it all. You don't want to do that either. You know, you don't, you don't want to like be the punching bag for their anger, you right. know, doormat. doormat, you know, so that you get kicked around, they feel better. You, you feel like hell when they leave. That's not the idea. It like, like, um, uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, like what, what you say bounces off me and goes, you know, that, that childhood stuff, but it's powerful. It's, that's the reality. No matter what you say, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to, I'm going to not even absorb it. I'm just going to let it pass right through me. You know, I'm going to stay gentle. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to stay focused. If, if that helps you with your anger, and it's the only thing I can do that could help you with your anger is to be a role model for somebody who's not being angry right now. At least I'm giving you a safe place to release your anger. Some of those schoolyard aphorisms are pretty wise. Like, yeah. uh, uh, I know you are. What am I? You yeah. know? Or uh, takes one to know one. That may be one of the highest of all metaphysical laws. It takes one to know one. Yeah, yeah that's powerful stuff. I think it's Jacob Boma that gets credit in about the 14th century for saying what the self describes describes the self. Mm. Nice. nice. And uh, you know that line from the Talmud. Um, Anas Nin, I've seen credited with this quotation, but I'm sure it's in the Talmud that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Right, right. And that's like the self describe what the self describes describes the self. That's heavy stuff. That's, that is. That's really, really pithy. So other people can stimulate the feeling again, you know. And there's a certain kernel of truth to, well, he made me angry. He was angry. That made me angry. He was defensive. That made me defensive. But but it didn't have to. It didn't. And no. if you were prepared ahead of time, it wouldn't have. If we were awake in that choice, right. it need not It have. need not. So, so when somebody's giving you hostility, give them gentleness. When somebody's giving you pessimism, when somebody's giving you negativity, when somebody's telling you you'll never make it, I'll never make it, uh, you know, it, it just the world is in a terrible place and, in fact, it's all going to explode by the year 2020, you know, that kind of philosophy. When somebody's giving you pessimism, well, what do you think you need to stand in? Obviously, you need to stand in optimism. You need to stand in positive thinking. You need to stand in loving life. Well, one of the things that I personally have used for years is the idea that everything that at first blush I would call a mistake, or oh boy, I really screwed that up, or boy, I, you know, maybe even I failed at this. I'm such a failure. I learned to reframe as an opportunity to learn. See, that's a real optimistic way of looking at the world. Like, no matter what happens, good stuff happens, bad stuff happens. But if you see it all as something good's going to come out of it, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. If you see it all as a positive opportunity, then that's what optimists do. Lessons learned. Yeah. And a pessimist thinks uh, something bad happens, it's going to happen again and again and again. And an optimist thinks if something good happens, it's going to happen again and again and again. And, and they're both right because 
you know, the law of attraction, basically. The, the reticular activating system makes us notice whatever our mind is thinking about. So if we're thinking about negative stuff, we'll notice it everywhere. If we're thinking about positive stuff, we'll notice it everywhere. And again, like uh, dealing with angry and hostile people, pessimists are, they can be so draining to be they around. Are. It's like so much work to have to They're sappers. shore things up. Around they like the, put pinholes in your dreams. You know, they, they like to like let the air out of all your visions and all your, get your, they tell you to put your feet on the ground and get your head out of the clouds and, and you know, it'll never work, you know? Well, I guess that's part of what upsets us about it is that there is often an attitude that goes along with pessimism that I'm the realist and you're just full of blue sky and sunshine. Pessimists don't call themselves pessimists. They call themselves realists. Realists. You know, that's what they say. (laughs) Because they're right. but, But by the nature of being a pessimist, they make sure they're right. One of the fascinating things is you can't guarantee success. No matter how much energy you put into something, there's other factors involved. You can you can optimize the odds, but you just can't guarantee success. But you can absolutely guarantee failure. You know, you can find a way to screw it up, and and uh, pessimists do. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. They they say it'll never work, and guess what? It never works. And they perhaps unconsciously contribute to the yes, fact indeed. That at least contribute if not create entirely out of yeah. whole cloth that's 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 what. so when you're dealing with difficult people because they're they're difficult because they're just draining you because they're just they're just popping your balloon and they're just negative and they're they're just pessimistic people you have to just stand in optimism and you know if, if once again the same rule applies if they were a stranger you wouldn't care that they're being pessimistic you were it's because it's your dad or it's because it's your brother or it's because somebody you have your, your your spouse you care a lot about that their pessimism deflates you but if you stand in your optimism that doesn't mean try and talk them out of their pessimism yeah. you can't talk somebody out of their pessimism you know what you can do though is stand in optimism stand in in loving life and and pointing out the happy things in life and and be a role model and they're going to pick up on it or they're not but it's your best shot you're maximizing your odds and it at most important, you're taking care of yourself. You're standing in your own love of life. You can look at life and see things to hate and see things to be indifferent about and see things to love. Everyone can do any or all of those things where you focus. Pessimists focus on things they don't like and optimists focus on things they do like. So focus on things you like, stand strong in loving life, and it deflates their, their pessimism. Because you're, you're living proof that, that people can be happy and can be positive and can have dreams and make them come true. You, you defeat their, their belief system about life if you live optimistically and, and are happy and successful. I agree, and I think this is a real good point to introduce the idea of acknowledgement in dealing with all three of these kinds yes. of, of difficult people. In various motivation modules that I've taught over the years and, and learned from others, from some really good salespeople, this, uh, well, they call it feel, felt, found. Yeah. Where you say Powerful to some... sales technique. Yeah, where, where you overcome an objection by saying, instead of arguing, you say, well, I know how you feel. In fact, I felt that way myself once. But here's what I found. And you have so much more power than... You would have if you simply argued back. Yeah, instead of saying you're wrong, you say you're right, and you know, and here's more. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You just only have part of the story. In fact, you're, you're totally right as far I, as you go. I, right, and there's more. That right. that's the opposite of antagonizing them. That's the opposite of making them feel wrong. Right. So a pessimist 
And uh, uh, if we're optimists and we have to deal with pessimistic people, let's acknowledge that we can understand how they'd feel that way. Well, you've been reading the paper, you're watching Fox News and got all confused. What, do you think the world's really that dangerous a place? Uh, Why do you feel that way? Listen to them a little bit. We don't have to argue with them. We can say, yeah, boy, I can dig it. I know how you feel. I felt that way uh, myself. And then maybe drop a little positive affirmation on them. But, But what I've found is... Maybe it could just be something like, but what I've found is sometimes there's really valuable lessons to be learned in negativity. Yeah, or it, it is a dangerous world, but you know, there are ever-increasing pockets of safety, and, and we can take a look at this particular pocket of safety and how to make it even larger. And, right. and sometimes it's just darkest before the dawn. I think the pendulum is about to reverse itself and swing the other way. Absolutely. And you know... Sometimes, with some people, you just can't win, but you can choose an elegant way to lose. You have options about the way you lose. What do you mean? That is, sometimes somebody's so pessimistic, they say, you know, the world's going to hell, and it's just, here's the reason. It's the war, it's the economy, it's da 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 and this is not an argument you're going to win. You know, you know, you're you're not going to win that argument. They've got too much evidence. That's right. They've got all this evidence, yeah. and, and you don't have time, and it's not worth <laughs> your time and energy to disprove each one of these arguments. So, so what you can do is you can either try and fight them, and ultimately they're going to have an argument back, and you're just going to get into this escalation thing, and you're going to lose, or, or at least you're not going to win. You know, that's for sure. Or you can choose another way to lose and go. You know what? I see your point of view. I choose to see it a different way, so we'll have to just agree to disagree on this one. And I've chosen my way to, quote-unquote, not win the argument, to lose. And you've educated them. You've taught them a word, choice. Yeah. I've chosen. And that may not occur to angry, hostile people that they have a choice to be other than angry and hostile, or a pessimist may not realize just how... They've actually chosen pessimism because, as you said, in most cases, they would just rather be right than fully understand. Yeah, it's it's really a fear of disappointment mostly for pessimists. It's just they don't want to they don't want to get their hopes up too high because they're afraid they're going to be disappointed. Parents say that to their kids. They say, "Don't get your hopes up too high, no. honey." You know, I mean, what you're saying to your kids when you say something like that is like, "We want to isolate you, insulate you from disappointment here in childhood. So when you experience it as an adult, it will devastate you. That's what we would like for our children. Come on, I mean, think, parents. You, you really you want to let your children experience all of that and teach them how to deal with other people who are experiencing. When you're dealing with negative, pessimistic people, you just don't buy into it. You don't fight them. You don't argue them. You don't try and change their mind. You just stand strong in your optimism and say, there are two ways or more to look at things. I understand your way of looking at things. And you're right from your side, and I'm right from mine. You know, Dylan said it best. You're right from your side. I'm right from mine. We'll agree to disagree. But to say to a child, I just don't want you to get your hopes up. Oh, oh. I don't want you to have any dreams because I'm trying to protect you from disappointment. I love you. Yeah, well, you're also preventing them from great successes. Absolutely. And what's the implication of I don't want you to get your hopes up? Not that it's a, a, a cold, unjust world out there, but that you are not very good. Yeah. And I don't really believe in you, son or daughter. And your failure is inevitable. You know, when I was told that as a kid, and I don't know where I got it because I don't think it came from my parents, but it it may have. 
And remember feeling. Don't get your hopes up. That's a way to protect yourself. Yeah, don't believe in yourself too much. Yeah, and the the uh, the vision, Steve, that I got from that was like flying an airplane. Don't fly too high because we know you're going to crash yeah. eventually. Yeah, and yeah. well, if you if you just dream a little bit and stay close to the ground, then the crash won't hurt so much. But if you fly high, boy, you could kill yourself. Oh, man. But the point is, we know you're going to fail sooner yeah. or later. Don't believe me. I remember this wonderful little story I read about this professor in this, I think it was an organic chemistry, a very challenging, difficult class, a graduate level program, I think. And he said, I know you guys all work really, really hard, and, and uh, you all know your stuff, and you're all going to go on to be doctors or into more graduate programs. So I'll tell you what, if you don't want to take the final exam, you, you can have a B in the course. Anybody who doesn't want to take the final exam, you can have a B. So anybody, anybody, volunteers, volunteers. So, you know, uh, about a quarter of the students raised their hands, took their B and walked out. Then he passed out the final exam and it says, you have earned an A in this course. Thank you for believing in yourself. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. That's a great lesson. Yeah. Can't argue that the professor is not doing her job. That's pretty good. And then the third category, again, not to be limited to only three kinds of difficult people, but... We thought we'd pick the big three today. We've been talking about angry and hostile people. We've been talking about people that are just pessimistic. And uh, that third category has Sad, to be, lonely, know, depressed, depressed, bummed out. I remember reading a book years ago by a UCLA professor named Karagula. Um, Shafika Karagula, Breakthrough to Creativity. Yeah. And she goes on at length about sappers and zappers. Yes, I love those terms. It's the first time I'd ever encountered them. And she said that a zapper is somebody that brings their negativity into a room. They they bring their sadness and their depression in. And they sap the energy from everybody. Blah. Through appeals for sympathy, basically. Yeah. Uh, people want love, but too often they'll settle for sympathy. Yeah, they think it's the same thing. It's totally not. Completely but not. Sympathy is fine at funerals, but after yeah. that, the, we need love because yes. love heals. Sympathy doesn't heal. No, no, it's sort of a band aid. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's not real love if it doesn't no, heal. No. Uh, again, appropriate at certain times, but it's 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 not a lifestyle. So these sappers take your energy, and then zappers, zappers are ones that right. you know they're enthusiastic people. They're they're high energy, or they're they're just so confident and so sure of themselves that you just feed off of them. You know, sometimes they're high energy. Sometimes they're they're not, they're not particularly high energy, but they're just so solid and strong that you just feel it. You just feel it. Well, I think uh, we could say that uh, sad people, uh, people who are depressed or lonely, contemptuous or alienated also tend to be pessimistic and maybe are more prone to being angry too. But I think the approach in dealing with the difficult person that's sad is a little different than just dealing with somebody who's negative. First of all, pessimism or negativity is, I would argue, more of a way of thinking. It's an attitude more than an emotion. Yeah. That's, that's, I'd agree with that. Whereas uh, to be sad, to, to feel deflated and, and defeated and, and this can just come from poor self-esteem and feed of right. low self-esteem. So in this case, like standing in your high self-esteem doesn't really serve them. No. I mean, it, it, you don't want to go down into their low self-esteem with right. them, but it takes more. I mean, when somebody's hostile or when somebody's pessimistic, you, you, you want to 
you don't want to encourage those behaviors, obviously, but and, and buy into them. But when somebody's sad, when somebody's lonely, when somebody's depressed, there's also a cry for help in that one. Yeah. You know, and, and you don't have to answer the cry. I mean, you don't have to, but you can. And the way to answer the cry with lonely and sad people, with depressed people, is to do two things, really. One is to give them love, and the other is give them an opportunity to give love back, either to you or to somewhere or someone. Because sad and lonely people need to receive love, but maybe more significantly, they need to express love to come out of where they're at. Yeah, and I think a great way to step into that is just to listen to them. Yes. I think of the three, the angry, the pessimistic, and the sad. Obviously, if you're going to acknowledge the angry person's anger or acknowledge the pessimism of the second kind of person, you're going to have to listen. But often with the sad person, the only thing you need to do is listen. Right. And... Maybe encourage them to acknowledge their right to feel sad. I mean, oddly, the way, let's talk about this for a minute. Oddly, the way away from any negative feeling is not away, but into. Into, or as George Harrison said, it's so far out, the way out is in. There's a a saying in psychotherapy, the only way out is through. Yes. Yes. And it's a funny place to find love in the center of your fear. Funny place to find some positive hope in the center of your depression and sadness, but that's where we got to go. We got to face. Yeah. I mean, we even talk about the silver lining in every cloud. I mean, it's, it's, it's inherent in the symbolism of our culture. We know, we somehow know that you don't solve a problem by avoiding it, by running away from it. You solve a problem by facing it and getting into it and and understanding it and dealing with it. So if it were a real danger, you could fight or run like hell, but, but there's not much stress in our life, our, our lives. It's really all that dangerous. It's not much. I mean, there's some freeways and stuff, but there's not that much. But over here. But when somebody's lonely or depressed, I mean, clinically depressed, you know, and and now we're dealing maybe with some chemical imbalances and stuff like that. But still, the way the way you have to deal with people like that is to hear that if you can is to hear their cry for help and to take care of them. I mean, to to hold them, to nurture them as I mean, if they're just if they're sad, if they're lonely, just being with them could help that. And then again, most significantly is get them out of themselves and into helping someone else, you or anyone else. But but that's so significant when you're sad, lonely, depressed to get out of that, you have to go help someone else. It's so big. Boy, that's just so smart, too. And one of the last things that most people who are sad and depressed uh, consider because they're so busy thinking about themselves. And they, if they do think about it, they think, well, I'll just bring that person down anyway. You know, like I don't, I won't be of any service to them. Well, no, that's not the case that you, you go out and do something good for somebody else and you feel better and they feel better. It's, it's a, it's an amazing win-win situation. You have to do that when you're feeling depressed. You have to do that when you're feeling down. It's, it's, it's so well, let's just say it's the easiest and most elegant way to start going up from down. I think we should mention that clinical depression, at least as I understand it, is that which goes on after maybe three days. We could all have a day or two or even possibly three of just some kind of melancholia. Sure, sadness can linger for time, or de- you can you can have a, a life changing negative experience sure. that you could mourn, you know, the loss of someone for a while. But no, depression is different than that. Depression is is a consistent, pretty much. I mean, there's 
there's, of course, different kinds. Obviously, there's what used to be called manic depression, now called bipolar disorder. But the depression part, the down part, has to last for a significant period of time. And it, it, it usually includes body pain and and not an anxiety and not wanting to do anything and lots of fear and lots of feeling paralyzed. I mean, just it's a horrible experience. Well, there is some evidence that some rather small percentage of depression comes from a genetic predisposition. And then there actually are illnesses or diseases that have symptoms sure. that, that mimic depression, sure. like thyroid condition uh-huh. can make you feel very emotionally depressed, even though it's physiological in nature. But most depression is emotional. And I can't give you a number. There just aren't that many good studies. But I think we could say two-thirds to three-quarters and maybe even more. Maybe even more. I mean, for psychiatrists, this should be the drug should be the last approach, not the first approach. I mean, certainly there are a percentage, we don't know what the numbers are, That's that right. do need the drugs. Right. But it, it, I don't think it should be the first approach by any means. No. And to look at the majority of depression that's emotional in nature, and often just the result of a lot of negative thinking, but also the false assumptions from childhood, and there's just so many factors. One inroad to this, I think, is to consider to what extent is my depression interdirected anger? And now we've come full circle. Could it be that anger at yourself creates sadness and depression and futility? Hmm. And if I'm angry at myself, there must be some hurt in there somewhere that I haven't healed yet. And maybe I just don't know the truth about yes. who I am, this yes. self that I don't like. Yes. I hate myself. You know, the Eckhart Tolle line, well, I hate myself. Wait a minute, how many of me are there? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. But Sartre later said, wait a minute, the part that realizes the I am isn't the part that thinks. I think, therefore I am. I am. I'm aware of the fact that I think, therefore I am, is really more the truth. Sartre said that? Sartre, yeah. The uh, existential. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty heavy. I think so, too. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. You know, I think we have to move into doing an audio journey. Uh, we, we talked about the three different kinds of difficult people we're going to be dealing with, and we'll do this in the audio journey. The angry, hostile kind of people, the pessimistic and negative kind of people, and the sad and lonely and, and, and depressed kind of people. And, of course, with them... It's a matter of taking care of each other, you know, helping, taking care of them, helping them take care of others. It's just about giving and receiving. And, and remember, when you give to get, we talked about this in a previous show, when you give to get, that's a trade. That's not giving. That's not giving. Yeah, giving, you know, just giving. Give so, to give. Give to give. So you give to them and have them give to somebody else. It's not about getting it back from them. It's like have them give to somebody else. And by the way, I think the ultimate in that is uh, to say, well, I'm learning to give to give. To give, that is, without needing anything in return, dot, dot, dot. Not even gratitude right, or appreciation. Right. Okay? Because even that need that to be recognized. Still a trade. Yeah, it's still a trade. A, and you'll most likely receive all of that, and yet... Yeah. High intention. If, if you need it. But, but if you're attached to it, if you <laughs> see you can you can want it, but if you need it, there's a big difference between want and need it. You can want it, but high intention, but low attachment. If you need it, that's your problem. Excellent. All you need is air and water and a few other things. You don't need that other kind of stuff. You left chocolate out of it. Oh, I did, I did, and I didn't mean to. Let's do an audio journey about uh dealing with difficult people. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath. Oh, always starts with that. And as you release, do it once or twice. 
and then find yourself in paradise, that paradise inside. Feel safe. Create and sense from head to toe a feeling of letting go. Putting down your burden, letting go of physical tension, feeling you can, you, you can actually feel right now muscles unwinding, relaxing, feeling really safe. And from this very powerful place of safety, and you know that means you have choices, you can choose any behavior, any attitude, any response. I'd like you to imagine someone in your life that sometimes is angry. Someone you know or knew, could be from the past, someone you know or knew who, with you and in your presence, either at you or just through you, was angry. And I want you to imagine yourself in this scenario with this angry person standing strong and feeling peaceful. That, that their anger just goes like right through you, doesn't even touch you, just goes right through you and you're, you're not absorbing any of it. You're just, just like letting it go on by. Letting it just go on by. A good word for this is detached, but that's not dissociated or you wouldn't care about the person. To be detached is to listen unemotionally from a point of view that is even more inclusive. You just uh, stay balanced and centered with your own emotional feelings as you, by taking a step back, detaching, seeing the bigger picture, get more information and a better understanding and can even mirror some of the anger, some of the hostility that you're witnessing back to the person. Acknowledge it. Tell them you know how they feel, that there's been times that you felt that way before. And yet, you stay peaceful. You stay calm. And none of that anger that they're experiencing causes you to experience their anger. You stay gentle. And you imagine yourself, whenever you're faced with someone who's angry, being able to choose to stay gentle, to stay centered, to stay focused, and to let the anger pass on by to be detached, to watch yourself be a person watching a person who's angry. Even if they're angry at you and are very clear and specific about the fact that they're angry at you, you can choose not to defend yourself as you know yourself well. And especially if you disagree with this person's reason for being angry, you can still Give them permission to be angry, tolerate it, suffer it, let it uh, pass through you and step aside like the matador. You, you don't have to argue back or make them wrong. You don't have to go down to their level, take a breath, stay relaxed. Practice that right now, feeling yourself, allowing this person to be angry with you. And know that even if they're angry with you, that you can absorb the feeling of peace and hold strong with that feeling inside and know that you can respond when they are finished. Instead of interrupting, you can respond to them when they are finished with whatever words you wish, as long as they're not incendiary. But understand the most important thing is you come back with 
piece in your volume and intonation and in your inflection and in your facial expression and in your body language. You come back as peace. You can say, I hear that you believe this, but I believe this. But if you say it with calm peacefulness, you don't incite their anger. You don't incite more anger. And let them have the last word. And when you're dealing with people who are negative and pessimistic, you can only be a role model and hold strong to your optimism, to your positive thinking. Not Pollyanna optimism, not nothing's ever going to go wrong, but things are going to go right and things are going to go wrong and I'm going to make the best out of whatever happens in my life. That attitude. Hold strong to that attitude. Love your life. Love life. Yes, there's things in life to hate and things in life to be indifferent to and things in life to love. You just choose to focus on the things to love. Let them focus on the other things. You don't have to set them straight. You can remember a time right now when you were frustrated by dealing with a pessimist, or you could just as easily imagine a time in the future where that kind of person is going to come along and think of how they make you feel and then move into your body right now and actually feel it, whether it's a memory or the anticipation of dealing with pessimism in the future. And see yourself, as Steve says, absorb it. You be the lightning rod. Let it pass through you. You don't have to contain this just because you absorb it. Let it pass through you, out the bottom of your feet and right into the ground. And release it all. Yeah. And hold strong to that positive optimism. Hold strong to that yes-I-can attitude. And, and understand the only power they have over your dreams are the power you give them. So hold strong and give them none. Love life. And when you're dealing with sad and lonely people, take care of them and let them take care of others. It's all about helping and being helped and allowing to give without needing to receive and letting them do the same. Listen, be a good listener. Sometimes all people want when they talk to you is to be heard and maybe understood, but you don't have to fix it. Guys, especially... We're inclined to believe we have to respond with some answer, maybe just to acknowledge, as we said before, the sad person that you're listening to, the depressed person saying, gosh, I know how you feel. I, I, I think I felt pretty much that same kind of thing before. And I found that I came out of it in a few days or... I learned an important lesson and found that I could actually release it. I realized I'd been carrying that negativity around, whether it was anger or pessimism or depression and sadness. Are, are you holding on to it? And if so, maybe you can teach them to let go, just as we're teaching you. To look at it, to face it, to understand it and let it go. Whether it's anger in yourself or another, whether it's pessimism, whether it's sadness, take a look at, am I holding on to this? Am I being infected by the contagious nature of emotions? And can I take a breath and as I exhale, just put it down? Just put it down. So anytime you're facing others with those kinds of angers or pessimism or sadness and depression... Stand strong. Rehearse in your mind dealing with those in your life that you know are this way and create in your mind a generic stranger so that you have some practice dealing with people you don't know. And be prepared. 
Be prepared. Be prepared to deal with angry people by being gentle. Be prepared to deal with pessimistic people by loving life. And be prepared to deal with sad, lonely, and depressed people by taking care of each other. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power as you inhale and as you exhale just as slowly. Feel that letting go feeling. Letting go of everything that you've been holding on to, now everything that you've learned and everything that's positive and hopeful, you can bring back effortlessly. You don't have to hold on to it. It's magnetic. It comes with you. Let go of everything and the love and the insight and the understanding floats up with you as you come toward the sound of our voices. Ah, this feels comfortable for you. Take a deep breath and bring yourself back, back to wide awake. Feeling fine, refreshed and rested and hopefully having some pretty good insight into how to deal with difficult people, angry people, pessimistic people, sad and depressed people. So remember, as we've been telling you at the end of every show and now we're telling you why. In fact, Michael's been telling you this for 30 years, those have been listening. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Now you know why. Be gentle to deal with the angry people. Love life to deal with the pessimists and take care of each other when you're dealing with sad, lonely, and depressed people. I wish I could say that I was that clear and cogent when I chose that phrase in 1977 as my radio sign-off. But actually, I just sort of, it just sort of came through me. I didn't really... Uh, I never really thought of it that way, but they are great words to live by. I don't claim them as my own. Like, better and better. Use it. Take it. Steal it. <laughs> don't give me attribution. It's real wisdom. Be gentle. Love life and take care of each other. And wage inner peace. Take your friends to FocusedPassion.com. You can give them a copy of this show. You can give them a copy of next week's program. That's okay, but... For 99 cents a week, it's so easy just to get them signed up. So take them to the website, and in the reference box, make sure they put your name. You'll find out more about this to come to FocusedPassion.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner for Steve Snyder. The thought that life could be better is woven in death. Our hearts and our brains.